One welcome to the Hour Radio Podcast. The Hour Radio Podcast is an opportunity again to listen to one of our inspirational, thought-provoking interviews that we have brought to the listeners of Yawa Radio. Yawa Radio is online 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We are your well-being and happiness radio station, bringing the feel-good feeling to every single day of the week. Check us out at yawaradio.co.uk. Now sit back and enjoy this podcast from the Yawa Radio team. Welcome to Jordan Space. Every fortnight, you can join me, your host, Steve Phillip, alongside Danielle and Paul from the Jordan Legacy team, together with some very special guests for an hour of conversation, music, and above all, hope. Welcome to Jordan Space. This show does discuss themes of suicide, and we'd encourage you to take care of yourself by stepping away from the show at any point, should you find the content triggering or uncomfortable to listen to. For support, please visit our website, thejordanlegacy.com, and our help menu options. Welcome to show 28 of Jordan Space. Shortly, we're going to be talking with Ellie Scott, founder of the Georgia Bird Foundation. While working as a singer in Ionapa, Cyprus in May 2017, Ellie would discover the body of her best friend. She had taken her own life. Before we speak with Ellie, let's welcome our show's regular co-hosts, Danny and Paul. Good to have you both back again and uh, look much of our conversation with Ellie today is going to be around music a real passion of hers and for her best friend Georgia as well since they were both very young we discussed this before but what is it about music Paul do you think that's so important when it comes to having conversations around mental health and suicide well music is so important to so many people in their lives and at key moments in their lives and people often turn to music that's significant for them when they've experienced loss and trauma relationship breakdown a whole range of life experiences which trouble people and which we know can lead to to suicide risk they they turn to music and you know my own auntie Frida, when she lost her husband, Jim, you know, used to sit and listen to Everything I Own by Ken Booth over and over and over again. That got her through a very difficult period. And we've also talked before about funerals and how the music that people choose at funerals and memorial services is so significant to them, for themselves and for all the people who are in, in that room. So music is so important. And to me personally as well, I mean, I I, I used to listen to, to Wonderful Life by Black, Colin Burncombe, uh, otherwise known as as black and I listened to that for, for many years before I heard him telling his story about that song where he wrote that at the lowest point in his life when he split up from his wife he lost his record contract and he was homeless and sleeping on his manager's his former manager's couch and somehow managed to write wonderful life which is now a very popular song at funerals Danny what about yourself what why do you feel music so important yeah, I think like like Paul said as well, it's it's important for a lot of reasons. We we associate music with memories. Um, research shows that it stimulates the brain, which helps with pain relief and reducing stress and anxiety. We know that it helps people to regulate their emotions and process their feelings, and it just has a way of bringing people together and of connecting people, which can also help to combat loneliness and socialize isolation. So it, it can really have like a lot of benefits in terms of mental health as well. 
Yeah, really important because music can be a very personal experience, of course, but also a shared experience. And Paul, talking of shared experiences during the show, uh, we'll be talking with Ellie about her establishing the Georgia, Georgia Bird Foundation Choir. What are your thoughts about choirs specifically? Well, choirs are incredibly important to a lot of people, again, at different moments in, in their lives. People join choirs, not just because they like singing, but because it is a community often and people support each other and get a real sense of achievement out of coming together and the harmonies and, and, and the performances. And my wife and I have been in a in a, in a choir in, in Sydney. Actually, we, we were in this choir called the Cleftomaniacs, <laughs> or the Cleffies for short, did some great gigs. And we were actually asked to take part in a global choir this is for to try and save the planet, getting choirs from all around the world to simultaneously hook up and sing All You Need Is Love. You know, So we were stood in by the side of Sydney Harbour in the middle of the night <laughs> because of the time zones, singing All You Need Is Love with people from California and people from the UK and, and astronauts from the International Space Station all simultaneously singing together. So that was an amazing experience. <laughs> Wow, what, what an experience that, that was. Well, look, thank you both. Let's take a break now and play some more music. Uh, when we return, we'll be speaking with Ellie uh, about the tragic loss of her best friend to suicide and learning about how music and entertainment plays an important part in the work she now does as a mental health, suicide prevention and disability advocate. Before then, we're going to listen to another track chosen by Ellie, and that is Born This Way by Lady Gaga. With inspirational guests from around the world, inspirational quotes, the inspirational book of the week, the meditation hour, the quiet zone, and feel good music. Yawa Radio is about well-being, happiness, and finding the beauty within. Enjoy. Be beautiful. Be happy. Be inspired. This is Yawa Radio. Welcome back. Ellie Scott is the founder of the Georgia Bird Foundation, set up in memory of her best friend who took her own life in May 2017. Ellie is also a mental health, suicide prevention and disability advocate. Ellie, welcome to the show. It's great to have you join us. Thank you so much for having me. Now, it's brilliant. Look, we're going to be talking today about Georgia, of course, and, and your experience. But the theme of today's show is very much around the impact of music. And I want to start because you've chosen, like all our guests do, a number of songs for us to to play today. We kick-started with Sia and Titanium, great anthem to start things off with. But then we just played Born This Way by Lady Gaga. Can you tell us a little bit about why that choice? Yeah, I absolutely love Lady Gaga because she's just so authentically herself and she just emits so much power and passion for music and what she does. And I think specifically Born This Way is a great song because it's just telling you to be yourself and be true to who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from, what your background is, who you are. It's just just be you, which is why I absolutely love it. I understand that music and dance is something that you got into at a very early age. Yeah, so I started performing and started like attending dance classes when I was three, although probably before that, because my whole family has danced their whole lives. And my mum and my nana used to take me to their dance classes and I would just used to sit and rock in my bouncer at like 18 months old and really enjoy sort of like the music and the rhythm. So it was kind of just known that I was going to go into dance classes as well. So yeah, I started dance classes when I was three, started singing lessons when I was 
I think I was about 10 or 11 and been doing it ever since. Me and Georgia went to the same nursery and primary school. Our mums were really good friends. We're best friends, so it's kind of just destined that we were going to be best friends. And we grew up together and we used to put on little shows and performances. I actually have a really old photo of us as stars in the nativity. So we'd got like these white costumes on that my nana made for us, which I thought was really funny to look back on. We thought we were the stars of the show. Oh, excellent. Well, look, let's move move forward um, through your lives into, into your teenage years now. And I understand that you, you clearly had aspirations to become a, a singer and an entertainer. And, and in your teenage years, you went on holiday to Cyprus, I believe. And if the story's right, you're sitting at a bar when someone approached you and offered you a job. That's correct. Yeah, I was on holiday with my family and it was all inclusive. So I was enjoying some of the beverages, shall we say, of what comes with an all inclusive. And I was just chatting away as I do to everyone there. And I was chatting to this guy for like an hour, just about random stuff. And then he turned around and said, oh, yeah, I'm the entertainment manager for TUI. He said, we've got a job going for an entertainer. We're looking for somebody to do um, entertainment at a hotel. Would you be interested? And yeah, they offered me the job there and then. So I flew home on the Sunday, packed my life up and then moved back out there on the Wednesday for six months. Oh, wow. Well, sticking with the Lady Gaga thing, we could say the star was born at that, <laughs> that, that moment. I think the message there is just be careful who you're speaking to and, and what you share with them because you never know where that might lead. Now, of course, that, that first year that you, you were out uh, there in, in, in Cyprus performing and the second year, I believe, was when your friend Georgia decided to join you and another budding aspiring singer as well but obviously a very tragic set of events where you've really barely been out there any time at all and well talk us through really what happened yes yeah, so the first year that I was there an agent came to watch me perform one of my shows at the hotel and offered me a job for the following year which I was really excited about and I said to him look I know one of my best friends is a, an amazing singer I know that she would love an opportunity like this could would you give her a shot as well for it to come out and and do this job and he said yeah absolutely so I spoke to Georgia and said look I've been given this amazing opportunity I know that it's something that you want to do so let's let's do it together it'll be a great adventure for both of us and she said yes she was living in America at that point uh, but she came back to the UK for a few weeks before we were due to fly out to Cyprus together and she lived with me for those for those few weeks it was great you know I always say that we're complete opposites like she would be going out to like three, four o'clock in the morning and I'd be sat at home drinking tea in bed by nine o'clock. Um, but I think that's what made us such good friends because we were so opposite. And yeah, so she flew out, I think it was a week before me. So she was there for a week. And then when I flew out the following week, we did one show the second day that I got there. And then I said to her, shall we rehearse the next morning? Because we were actually doing a show together. The following day, we'd got an afternoon show. And I said, we can either rehearse tonight or we can get up early tomorrow and rehearse. And she said, yeah, let's just get up early tomorrow and rehearse. I said, OK, yeah, no worries. Come the, the following day, I'm sort of knocking on a door and there's no answer. I'm thinking, what's going on here? She probably just overslept. She was a really heavy sleeper. So I was like, oh, I'll give her an hour or so. And an hour passed by still no movement her car was still there so I was like she's definitely still just probably falling asleep and it wasn't until probably lunchtime when I was starting to get a bit worried thinking I wonder what's happened she's not answering her phone she's not answering the door her blinds are short what's going on so I rang the landlord and managed to get a key to go in and that's when I found that and discovered that she'd taken her own life and you had adjoining apartments then next door to each other I, I yeah believe. next door to each other yeah 
but I can't imagine what that moment would be like for for you. I'm just trying to imagine you in in that position. I mean, what was your immediate response and reaction? Had what... uh, <laughs> my immediate response was, "Is she still alive? Like, can I somehow bring her back?" So there's me thinking, "Okay, I need to ring an ambulance. Need to call the police. I don't know who I need to call." And there was sort of a bit of panic because I. I I didn't know what to do and she was my best friend and just sort of seeing her there was really was awful and so yeah luckily our um, apartment complex there was quite a few entertainers who were living there so uh, we, we got one of the other entertainers to call the emergency services because I was panicking I was like I don't even know who to call is it 999 is it 112 what is it and I just, my mind was just going into overdrive but luckily we managed to get the emergency services out there and yeah and the police as well who were, were amazing and handled the situation quite well. I understand as well though that there was a, a conversation between you and the police afterwards for, for an hour or so can you tell us a little bit about that. So after Georgia was found, after the the ambulance, the ambulance service were great, and then the police wanted to to talk to me, and they took me in for questioning. I just thought it was probably about some of her belongings or how to get in contact with her family and letting the family know what had happened, and it turned into an interrogation. So the they were interrogating me, saying, "Did she kill herself because she loved you, and you didn't love her back?" Because Georgia was openly gay you know, did you kill her? Did you do this? Did you force her to do these things? And it was, yeah, very overwhelming. And this was probably within an hour of it happening too. So it was all in a really short time scale. Like, you know, I just found my best friend after she'd taken her own life. And and then all of a sudden I'm getting interrogated. I'd like to say as well, we were in a foreign country. So there was a language barrier too, which I think made it more frustrating and harder to sort of communicate with each other, which was, yeah, yeah really difficult. I mean, thank you for sharing that, Ellie. I mean, there'll be people listening just going, how on earth do you deal with something like that? I can only imagine how difficult that must have been for you. Ellie, what effect did that have on you, sort of that whole experience? And just did you get the help that you needed immediately afterwards? Or did you not try to look for help? Did you just try and deal with it yourself? Yeah, at the time, I tried to deal with it myself. I went kind of into, you know, they say fight or flight mode. And I definitely went into just sort of like adrenaline taking over me. And I just sort of soldiered on and continued. Like I went to do a show that night. Once I'd left the police station, I went and, and immediately went home, got changed and then went out and did a show. And then I didn't stop working until the end of the season. I think it it definitely affected me, but I was pushing those feelings down, trying not to feel those feelings. And especially because I was the only person there, everybody had a lot of questions for me, especially sort of friends, family, you know, what happened, what was going on. And obviously everybody was distraught with with the news and what had happened. So I felt like it was on my shoulders to make sure that they were okay. So that kind of stopped me from checking in on myself, which I don't recommend people doing, but I've learned that the hard way now and definitely try and support people to handle situations differently. But I think until you're in that kind of situation, you don't know how you're going to handle it and, and what's going to go through your mind. No, because obviously it wasn't just the trauma of losing your friend, but obviously the trauma of actually finding it like that, that you probably did need some professional help for. I did. Yeah, I absolutely did. I probably should have tried to seek help there and then. I think as well, being in a different country, that was quite difficult to access. And plus, I didn't really know where to find it. When I came home, I did try and look for some support. Um, but this was quite a few months on after it happened when I'd returned back to the UK. And a wonderful organisation did reach out to me and offered their support. But at the time, I didn't think I needed it. 
So I said, no, I'm okay, thank you. But please go and help everybody else who needs it. Like I said, I pushed those feelings down, which then eventually developed into me being diagnosed with complex PTSD because I didn't deal with those feelings when I should have. Ellie, you mentioned about when you got back, there was one organisation that reached out to you and tried to help. What was that organisation? They're called The Tomorrow Project. And they are absolutely incredible. I do a lot of work with them now. So they are a specific crisis, suicide bereavement support service and a crisis service. So they actually reach out to anybody who's been affected by a suicide of a loved one. But you don't necessarily have to be close family. Anybody can access the service and they do absolutely incredible work. I'm sure some of our listeners will just be wondering, you know, it's difficult for anybody in a difficult, you know, crisis situation. like that. I mean, obviously for a young person, you can't expect somebody to know what to do. So it's a completely unknown, unprecedented situation. It's not surprising that you uh, reacted in the way you did. But this thing with the police, and it sounds extraordinary. And we've heard other cases of parents who've lost their babies and, and, and they're, they're originally accused by the police of, of being criminals and treatment equality. So I mean, did that kind of bounce off you at that sort of age? Or was that something that kind of sat with you and, and it troubled you? I don't think straight away it did. I didn't really take into account what was happening. I think everything was a bit of a blur. I didn't know if this was a normal thing that happened after somebody was in the situation that I was in because I'd never experienced it before. And I didn't I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't know if it was the thing because of the, what, the country that I was in. or And then I thought they're just doing their job. This is what they've got to do. They've got to cover all avenues. And for a long time, I was, I just kind of brushed it under the carpet, but then reflecting back on what actually happened and some of the questions they were asking and their manner and the way they were speaking to me I realized it was you know things like that shouldn't happen especially an hour after somebody has just found their best friend and you've mentioned about Georgia being openly gay do you think there were any issues there in terms of the police stereotyping and making those kind of assumptions Potentially, yeah. I think that it was it was very clear what happened to Georgia by the way that I found her and the way that things had happened. But I think there's definitely stereotypes and people trying to jump to conclusions and try and think of alternatives or blame it on something else as to what actually happened. I want to ask you, obviously I'm trying to imagine the shock of you you finding your best friend there, but were there signs at all from Georgia that this might happen? So I think a lot about this question when I've been asked it before. And in that moment, I would have said, no, there was nothing. Like I had no idea. Reflecting and looking back on it now, there were absolutely signs that maybe I say to myself, I should have picked up on. But in that moment, it wasn't all obvious what was happening, if that makes sense. So for example, she was living with us before we moved to Cyprus and she wrote my mum a beautiful card saying thank you for letting her stay with us. But when you read into the details of those car of that card, she was saying goodbye. So that's like one little thing that we could have maybe picked up on if we'd have known. But yeah, there was so many kind of little subtle signs that, you know, she was so happy and carefree. At that point, she was going out like while she was back in the UK, she was living her best life, as we like to say. She was going out, seeing all of her friends. She wanted to see everybody who she knew in the UK before we moved out to out to Cyprus and again that's a way of saying goodbye and they say that and when somebody's feeling suicidal that all of a sudden they could feel carefree and and at peace with the decision that they've made of what they're going to do and I think that was definitely the case 
And this is a really difficult one, isn't it, Ellie? Because, you know, there'll be people listening, thinking, and we talk often about, you know, if there's any change in behaviours at all, to go and have a conversation with someone. But there'll be people listening, thinking, you know, I've got someone now who just seems to be having the best time doing great. Do, do I go over and ask them if they're doing all right? It's What are your thoughts on that now with looking back at what you recognise? I think conversations are so important. And if I can sort of like spread messages to anyone, I would be always talk like even if somebody is happy and living their best life is if that is a change in behavior just be like hey how is everything are you okay it doesn't have to be in a negative way it can just be a, a check-in just to have a, a general conversation and then maybe that conversation does open something deeper they could genuinely just be really happy which which is great if they are but at the same time if that conversation then opens up something uh, deeper or something that needs to be explored more or talked about more then you know that you've done the right thing so it's just I think it's just keep talking constantly whether you if you notice something if you don't just just keep talking i think you made a really important point early which a lot of us should think about very carefully and that is when we talk about changes in behavior we're often thinking about negative changes in behavior people are looking for negative shifts but that positive shift as well is is another sign and certainly in my own family a, a suicide that we've experienced um you know, their mum said that, you know, he was happier than he'd ever been on that final weekend. You know, it's that kind of sign that perhaps we don't always look for. So thanks for raising that. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, you're a mental health advocate, suicide prevention advocate now, and, and as well as supporting people with disabilities. Was this something that you'd already been involved with and, and kind of that interest increased? Or was this as a direct result of George's experience? It was as a direct result of George's experience and my own. I'd I'd never really suffered with any mental health problems before. Georgia had suffered with anxiety and depression um, and she was very open about that. And I was there to listen to her, but I couldn't necessarily understand what she was going through. But I kind of just heard from her experiences what it felt like. And then obviously when I came back and was pushing those feelings down, I didn't really know how to cope very well. And it yeah, kind of spiralled a little bit out of control. And um when I came back though, I did want to do something to honor her memory. So and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I knew that I wanted to do something because a lot of people knew who Georgia was. She was a very popular, very social person. If you met Georgia, like your life would be changed. She was just one of those people who just radiated positivity. She was such a character. So when we were in Cyprus, Georgia was 20, I was 19. So I threw her 21st birthday party because your 21st birthday is really big in America as well. So um, we raised money for two charities. And then I thought I would love to do events like this and raise money for other people struggling with mental health. And then I was thinking like, okay, what support is out there for specifically for young people? Because when I tried to have a look at what support was out there, there was a lot of support groups, but they were mainly aimed at sort of older people, uh, not necessarily young people doing activities and stuff that young people don't necessarily want to do or partake in. So uh, for me, my big passion is music and singing. And music is such a good way to help your mental health. I the quote that I love is music is a universal language that everybody speaks. So it doesn't matter what your background, where you're from, what language you speak, music can connect you. And so I thought, OK, I want to start singing sessions for young people. And so I did. I set up a choir for young people, a, a free space to create a safe space for anybody struggling with mental health to come along 
meet people, have fun, learn a new skill, and just really understand how music can help you. We're going to play another track now that you, you've chosen, and that is Don't Give Up On Me by Andy Grammer. Tell us a little bit about why this song is important. So this song I like to call my motivator. If I'm ever feeling a little bit down or a little bit sad or just a little bit lost, this is the song that I always stick on and it immediately puts me in a good mood because it's really upbeat and really positive, but also the lyrics are, are really great too. Well, let's listen to Andy Grammer, Don't Give Up On Me, and we'll be right back after this. Yawa Radio, for your well-being and happiness. Be happy. Be inspired. This is Yawa Radio. Hi, it's Zoe Bishop here. If you want to get your weekend off to the best start, join me every week for my Feel Good Friday show from 11am to 1pm. Two hours of fab music, well-being tips and Friday fun. This This is is Yawa Radio. Welcome back. We're talking with Ellie Scott, who uses her love of music and entertaining to help young people express themselves. Ellie, you describe yourself on LinkedIn as a mental health, uh, suicide prevention and disability advocate. I was looking through the list of things you, you get involved with, which is really extensive. I understand in your hometown of Chesterfield, you're a Living Well Collaborative Coordinator for Chesterfield. Can you tell us a little bit about that role? Yeah, so Living Well is a new transformation of how community mental health is being delivered across Derbyshire. It's been adopted in in other counties across the UK, but the transformation is absolutely incredible. And it's a very big transformation in that the voluntary sector are coming together with the NHS to deliver a full person-centred approach to um, specific mental health problems and it's looking at the whole person so you know there's lots of factors that can contribute to someone's mental health such as debt problems money management housing benefits things like that so it's making sure we're pulling in all of the right people so my role is to run the collaboratives which is basically bringing the living well team who are so the people who are supporting the individuals sort of commissioners local authority people with lived experience community groups and community organizations all together in one space to look at what's working what's not working what can we do to improve and to make sure that everybody's connected together i think that's really important ellie yeah, part of the work you know we're doing at the jordan legacy through our action research project and the interviews we've conducted time and time again what we're hearing is about a whole person approach as you rightly say um, you know we often hear that suicide is a result of just mental illness we, we know that's not the case it's very complex and also understand that you've authored a book reasons to stay yeah so as I was going on my own mental health recovery journey as I said before I was previously diagnosed with complex PTSD and something that I did to keep myself well was every morning I used to get up I had a pad of post-it notes and I just used to write down a reason of of why I'm here today of of just a reason to to stick around whether it was just to stay happy to stay motivated um, or if I was having a really bad day so I kind of compiled all of those reasons as well as some more that I could think of and yeah, turned it into a book. So it's just a short self-help book that you can literally pick it up and open at any page and it will give you sort of a reason. Some of them are really deep and meaningful, but some of them are really silly. Like one of my favourites is the Middle Isle at Aldi. Like that's a great reason to stay because there's stuff that comes out on the Middle Isle at Aldi all the time that's just extravagant and so cheap and so exciting and something that you wouldn't expect to find in a supermarket. So Really, I, I need to visit Aldi more frequently. <laughs> in terms of getting hold of a copy of the book, are we on Amazon? It's on Amazon, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's available on Amazon. There's a journal as well. So there's a daily journal and a book that that you can yeah buy. Ellie, I believe you're the lead organizer of an event called Think Best. Could you tell us a bit more about that? And is that an annual event or is that 
just sort of the one-off event? Yeah, so a few years ago, I it was during lockdown, actually. There was a real need for people not understanding what help is out there and how to get it. So I really wanted to do a public event that showcased all of the wonderful services that we've got in our community and sort of grassroots peer support groups, different organisations that you can refer into. You know, when people think of mental health, they think of, okay, I need to go see my GP. I'm going to go on medication and I'm going to have therapy. It's not the only option. There's so much more out there and people don't realise how to look for it. And if you're also, whether you're in a mental health crisis or if you are struggling with your mental health, it can be really difficult to search for that information and try and find out what's best for you. So I wanted to do a public event of um, inviting all of local services so that people just stumbled upon it and, and found the the services there so they can have the conversations but also try out different things so different workshops of things to help your mental health that people might not have thought might help your mental health um and then also accompanied by live performers and entertainers because music obviously is such a great way and it's kind of at the heart of what we do so I did my first one in 2021 and I've done it every year since so it's kind of grown and grown over the last few years and and the last one that we did was on mental health awareness week so we did it in May this year and we did it in the town centre on on Vicar Lane in Chesterfield and it was the most successful one we've done yet the footfall was amazing just the the energy there was was fantastic and it was really really nice to just see people having open conversations you know people had come into town to do the shopping and all of a sudden they're having conversations about mental health you know I think by normalizing talking about these kinds of things and realizing that okay yeah I can actually just have a conversation about it it's not as scary as it seems will help reduce that stigma so yeah I think it was a really successful day is there one already planned for 2024 or is it uh, yeah yes so I'm planning to do it hopefully every year in the same place but uh, it's on the Saturday of mental health awareness week so just waiting to confirm the dates but it's usually the third week in May so it'll be the third Saturday in May. Ellie it's great to hear about the broad perspective that you have and things like living well we have a living well here in York and, and as Steve said earlier you know this isn't just about mental illness um I think there's a couple of questions that come out of that, though. One, one is that, obviously, you draw from your own lived experience, and you mentioned earlier about being diagnosed with PTSD, and PTSD is one of those things we know that people who are not aware think it's something that happens to people from the army. So do you talk about your experience with PTSD in any of your work? I do. I think especially within um, Living Well, we put people with lived experience at the heart of it, making sure that people's experiences that they've had, kind of looking at their stories, what went right, what went wrong, what needs to change so that everybody can have a great experience of mental health services, which we know doesn't really happen at the moment. So it's about, yeah, I I use my own story of lived experience to make other people feel comfortable as well, that I'm chairing these meetings, for example, uh, but I'm not a robot. I'm, you know, I'm not an NHS professional either. I'm just a person who's yeah. got a story and has been through her own mental health journey and wants to help make a difference and make other people feel that they can stand up and talk about what's been going on with them. Um, so, yeah, I do I do talk about it, probably not as deep as you know, my full experiences of what happened and, and what my symptoms were, but I do let people know that I have got my own experience. And is that because of what you think is appropriate for other people or because of your personal choice of what you want to disclose? Um, essentially a little bit of both, I think. You know, I've still, 
at the end of the day, I'm being paid to do this and I'm, I'm a professional as well. So I don't want it to become an Ellie show talking about me all the time and, and sort of what what I experienced, but also just giving people the opportunity as well to, to share and, and let them know is mm. really important. Mm. Again, you emphasise that people have got all these other issues. It's not just mental health. It's about money issues. It's about housing issues, etc. I mean, people then often say, yeah, but how do you practically support people? You know, you can sit down and do a bit of listening to somebody. But, you know, how do you give people practical support in things like housing and help with money issues? Is that all part of the integrated approach that you're trying to take in, in Chesterfield? Yeah, absolutely. It's not just Ch- it's Derbyshire as a whole. Derbyshire, yeah. Um, yeah, so it's the whole county, big area. But yeah, it's it's about that integrated approach. So making sure that different services who support homelessness and homelessness and, and housing support, sort of drug and alcohol misuse, substance abuse, making sure that um, the Living Well team are well integrated within those organisations so that they know who they can call on and pull in people for support. Social care is also involved within the Living Well team, which is fantastic. So sort of Look at if you get referred into living well, the people who you've got in your team is a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a psychologist assistant, you've got an occupational therapist, a community psychiatric nurse, or a CPN, and then you've also got a well-being coach, a peer support worker, and a social worker. So that's eight people for one person, like per one person. You mo- might not necessarily need all of those people, but they are there to pull on if you if you need it and come into the conversation. So and I just think that offer is is fantastic that you've got access. Mm-hmm. To all of those people. We're going to bring things right up to date now to to 2023. And for anyone working or involved or impacted by suicide prevention and mental health, they will not have escaped their notice that a certain event called the Baton of Hope took place this summer, uh, a Baton touring 12 cities around the UK. And uh, you had quite a an important role in, in that in terms of founding the Baton of Hope Choir. Can you tell us about that event that whole experience Mike McCarthy came to one of our suicide prevention forum meetings that we have in the county and he told us his story and 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 what was going on with the baton of hope and, and what he was planning to do and everybody who was in that meeting there was a lot of people in that meeting was just jaw dropped awestruck because it was such a beautifully tragic story about what he the baton of hope is and what it encompasses and when I heard it I was like I need to get involved I don't know how I don't know what but I want to be involved somehow and then I thought let's create a song you know let's let's have a song for the baton of hope I knew that it was coming through Sheffield which is very close to us so I thought it would be great if my young people could perform a song specifically for the baton of hope like we will write it so what I did was I got the young people to give me a quote or sort of like a, a message that that they wanted to say and they wanted to include in the lyrics. And then I kind of shaped that into a song. And then I worked with with a good friend called Charlotte Betson on, on the lyrics and the melody. And yeah, so I went to the recording studio and recorded a backing track and got the kids to perform it, which was, I say kids, some of them are like 22. <laughs> and we sort of created this absolutely beautiful song. And every time they sing it, they sing it with passion and meaning, knowing that it's their work, it's their words that they want to express. And when I was creating the song, I didn't want it to be a sad song. I didn't want it to make people upset, but I wanted it to give people hope. So I think 
but I think it really does capture that because it's it's quite an upbeat song. It's a catchy song that people can sing along to and it's simple so that people can pick the lyrics up and actually think about them as well. Well, the listeners are going to have an opportunity because the track we're going to close the show with today is, is the Baton of Hope anthem by the Georgia Bird Foundation Choir. Ellie, you talked about the, the anthem. You talked about you wanted to give hope to other people. And one of the things we do is to uh, ask you to share a message of hope with those that are listening today. So I'd like to ask you what... Uh, your message of hope would be and who would that be for? I think my message of hope is for everybody and it's to keep talking. If you ever feel like giving up, just remember how far you've come. And even though in those moments you might feel alone, but I promise you that there is always somebody to talk to and always somebody who will listen. We mentioned we're going to be playing the Baton of Hope anthem at the very end of the show. But before we say goodbye to you now, we're going to play another track. And this one is called Chosen Family, if I pronounce this right, by Rina Sawayama and Delton John. Tell us a little bit about this track. So this track actually is a song that the choir performed at ThinkFest. And I think it really and emulates what our message is as if somebody comes to our um, organisation to come and sort of take part in sessions, we become each other's chosen family and we're all there for each other. Great. What a fantastic message to end on. Ellie, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been great to talk to you. And uh, let's listen to Chosen Family by uh, Rina Sawayama and Elton John. You're listening to Yawa Radio and we love to bring you details of the inspirational book of the week this week's book of the week is by dr joe dispenser becoming supernatural how common people are doing the uncommon what would it mean to be supernatural what if you could train your brain to tune into frequencies beyond our material world change your brain circuitry and chemistry to access transcendent levels of awareness and transform your very biology to enable profound healing. This is one of the abilities Dr. Jody Spencer offers in this revolutionary book, a set of tools that allow ordinary people to reach extraordinary states of being. So this week's inspirational book of the week is Becoming Supernatural, How Common People Are Doing the Uncommon by Dr. Joe Dispenza. Well, Danny and Paul, what an incredible story and what an experience for Ellie to have gone through really at such a young age. And yet she seems to have handled everything with such maturity, almost right from the moment that she found Georgia. What did you take away, Paul, from, from that conversation with Ellie? Obviously, I was thinking about that experience, and it's a tough experience for anyone, obviously, to find somebody who's taken their own own life. And she was 19. They were 19. I mean, it's just really hard to, to process. It emphasises that in those situations, as, as you know, Steve, there's a lot of practical stuff that you just have to get sorted out, whilst you're also trying to process the emotional stuff. And then there was the police and this sense of, you know, almost being interrogated and almost being accused of doing something. So trauma upon trauma as we often find but out of that yeah Ellie is just again it's a, it's a, sto- a story of life after loss isn't it it's a hope after loss story and all the help that she's given and one of the things that stuck in my mind was that uh, Ellie was so uplifting and joyous about all these things she's doing now around mental health and she kept talking about how Georgia radiated energy and I thought 
Ellie, you radiate energy. <laughs> and, you know, good luck to you. Yeah, I very much felt like George's spirit and Ellie's spirit are kind of almost one and combined in, in, in many ways. And maybe that's what helps her get through. And I think for me, I think just one of the, you talked about things that we have to do after an event. And with Jordan's death, of course, there were a lot of practical things to, to do. But I think what, what struck me as well was even when she was being interviewed by the police, it was kind of very rational thinking, you know, maybe this is what's supposed to happen and just just very practical thought process. Yeah, and also just quickly on another point there, we just come up in previous shows as well, that we often sort of emphasise the emotional support a little bit too much after a loss experience. The practical support is absolutely crucial at the point at which somebody loses somebody, and this isn't just suicide loss, it's like an, an older person losing a partner, the practical things, the housing issues and the financial issues, the arranging of funerals, these things are absolutely crucial. And sometimes we don't give enough support uh, in those areas. And agencies like looking at the well-being, living well, for instance, across the piece that Ellie was talking about, these things are absolutely crucial. I, I totally agree. Many times I've had conversations with people saying, look, oh, somebody we know has lost somebody. We're not quite sure what to say. And quite often the advice that I've, I've learned is there's, as well as being there and, and maybe just listening and being supportive, it's just asking what, what kind of practical help can I offer? Because yeah. sometimes it can be walking the dog. It can be doing the shopping. You know, it can be very practical things that are the greatest help. Absolutely. Danny, what about yourself? What, what were some of the things you took away from our conversation with Ellie? Yeah, well, obviously, it's an incredibly tragic story. Georgia seemed to be living her best life, but obviously, on the inside, there was a lot more going on that she was hiding from others. But I think it's amazing that the work that Ellie's doing now in Georgia's memory, and she's helping others in so many different ways, from from her role now as Living Well Collaborative Coordinator to a book to the event she's been involved in. So, you know, it's, it really is a case of turning tragedy into hope for others and helping others who might be feeling like Georgia was. Yeah, I mean, I mean, again, just yet another example of, of people that have taken such a tragic situation and, and got some kind of sense of meaning and purpose out of that as well. Well, that's it for another episode of Jordan Space. Uh, my thanks to Danny and Paul, as always. And uh, I guess this week, Ellie Scott, thank you for tuning in. Uh, I hope you found today's discussion as always interesting and insightful. And uh, if you have felt inspired to support our work to help prevent suicides, you can make a donation on our website, thejordanlegacy.com, or you can get in touch by emailing hello at thejordanlegacy.com. You can also engage with us on our social media. We have a LinkedIn company page, The Jordan Legacy CIC. We're also on Twitter and Instagram using the username at Jordan Legacy UK. And of course, you can find us on Facebook at The Jordan Legacy. You can listen to recordings of this show within the next couple of days on our website and also by choosing the menu Jordan Space at the top of our homepage. You can listen to recordings of all our previous shows. For now, and from Danny, Paul and myself, we'd like to wish you a safe, healthy and above all, hopeful rest of your week. And we're going to leave you with that baton of hope anthem that we discussed with Ellie by the Georgia Bird Foundation Choir. A big thank you for taking the time out to listen to this podcast from the team at Yawa Radio. Remember to check us out live online 24 hours a day, seven days a week at yawaradio.co.uk. And if you'd like to join us as a guest on Yawa Radio or as a guest on the Yawa Radio podcast, we would love to hear from you. Simply email studio at yawaradio.co.uk. 
www.co.uk. Once again, a big thank you for taking the time out to listen. This is the Yawa Radio Podcast. Copyright applies. <laughs>